Morning again, everyone. I don't know if maybe it's just the lingering exhaustion, sleep deprivation from being sick last week, um, but I felt very moved this morning um, by the songs that have been led, the prayers, the comments that were made at the table. Songs about the love of God expressed to us. A message at the table of how that love expressed towards us should lead us to express that love towards others, and a prayer that we would hear the message today and take something from it that we need to hear, um, I feel like that prayer has already been answered. As I continue on with this series, and again I'm calling Amazing Stories of of Simple Obedience, Um, some of you last week when I was talking about Naaman and his resistance to act, on his faith, to do the thing that his faith had led him to do after receiving a word from the messenger of the prophet, and our own resistance to just simply do what our faith has brought us to do. Some of you may have walked away from that lesson wondering, wait a minute, what about like the big line in that story? The, the big moment that usually is the heart of most of the lessons about Naaman, um, And I'd say I was saving that line for a reason, so I could use it on this lesson. Um, And also, it's just so I could use this slide again, Um, because I really love that book cover. (laughs) Um, um, You know, in fact, now I think about it, Ray mentioned to me after service that Sherry actually has this book somewhere. I should have asked you to bring it in. I could have had the, the visual aid. But the big line, of course, in that story, the one that usually sticks with us the most, is when Naaman's servants ask him, he says, you know, if he, if, if the prophet had commanded you to do some great thing, well, wouldn't you have done it? And now look, he's just asking you to go to this river that I know it seems beneath you. It seems like some trivial thing he's asked you to do that your stubbornness may be preventing you from doing. Servant was wise, didn't say that last part. Um, but he said, if he had asked you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? But he asked you to do a simple thing. He gave you a simple command. Why would you leave that undone? And as I think about that story, and that big moment in that story, that confrontation with the truth of the situation, I can't help but remember that, you know, God has given us some simple commands. It was mentioned for Roger mentioned the time when Jesus brings it up in the Gospel of Mark, asking, "What's the greatest command?" And the answer that he gives, and again over here in Luke, when Jesus gets to turn that one around on a teacher of the law, who he knows the answer to. It's not like this was some great new novel thing that Jesus was bringing up. No, it was the heart of the law of God. It was understood bedrock fact of what it meant to be his follower. God's given us this simple command. Love God, love your neighbor. And I can't help but wonder if sometimes we're waiting around so much to do some great thing for God. If we're waiting for that just majestic mountaintop, wow, God, look what I have done for you experience. And while we're sitting around waiting for that, 
We're leaving a simple, though great command, a little bit undone. And so so when the servant of Naaman asked this question, I can't help but think he's kind of asking it to us too. If he'd asked you to do some great thing, you would have done it. If God asked us to do some great monumental thing in his name, we're ready to go. Let's do this, God. But then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Sometimes we can get very wrapped up in grand issues of theology and salvation and forget that God is very much concerned with, that God cares very much about how we treat each other. Because, see, that's where our day-to-day lives of faith are lived out. Not in the mountaintop moments, but in the everyday, how am I treating the people around me? How am I showing love to my neighbor? And I'd also say that that's where the truth of our message gets tested by a lot of the world around us. You say all these things about this God who is love. Well, are you showing me that love, you who call yourself one of his? And so we come to this story, this parable of the Good Samaritan. Apparently I'm on a Van Gogh kick. This is two weeks in a row. But here's a painting. It's not totally original to, to Van Gogh. It's actually a reproduction that, that Van Gogh did um, of another artist's work. The story of, of the Good Samaritan. Now we can look at this episode as Jesus teaching this expert in the law a lesson. Because Jesus is good at teaching the experts a lesson. And sometimes we can look at that and we can have a little chuckle and like, ha yeah, that, that's, that's our guy right there, sticking it to him. <laughs> Show him. Putting him in his place. But I think that he's also teaching us the same lesson. Teaching us a lesson about how we obey this very simple but profound command. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing again. We, we, it was just read for us. But the expert in the law comes to test Jesus, to say, once again, trying to trip him up, trying to trick him, trying to get him to say, to misspeak in some way. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, of course, turns it back around on him. He's really good at answering a question with a question, especially when dealing with the religious establishment. He said, okay, well, what's in the law? Now you're asking me kind of an obvious question here. You're saying, what does it take? Well, you tell me. What's in the law? You're the expert. How do you read it? And he gives them this understood, known answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you got it. That's right. Do this and you'll live. Now, that was a little unsatisfying for this expert in the law who was trying to teach, you know, trying to trick Jesus, trying to trap him. But instead, suddenly he feels like the student that just got the gold star from the teacher. In some ways, acknowledging him as an authority, and that wasn't going to fly. So he takes it one step further. He pushes his luck just a little bit, and he pushes it just a little bit too far. And wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, okay, and who is my neighbor? Maybe I can get him with this one. Maybe if I can just lead him down the path, he'll still talk long enough that I can show that he's not this great teacher that everyone should listen to. Instead, they should listen to us, the experts. He says, who is my neighbor? 
thinking that was a very clever question, I'm sure. But I think the very question, the very fact that that question was asked reveals something peculiar and I think a little bit dark about the human heart. Because see, we naturally seek to exclude. We naturally seek for, for minimums, for the lowest possible requirements. Is that, okay, I know I need to love my neighbor as myself, but okay, who falls into that category? Because I want to make sure I'm getting them. Maybe not anybody else. I want to make sure I know exactly what the rule is so I can follow it to the letter, maybe not to the spirit. We seek to exclude and search for minimums, whereas God seeks to include, and he is the maximum. We seek to isolate and and subdivide, but Christ opens his arms and says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. It's almost as if the questioner here is saying to Jesus, "Ah, I love your neighbor. That's a little broad, Jesus. That's a little too general. I need you to be a little more specific, if you don't mind. And so Jesus comes back with them, and I can't help but hear the subtext in the story being, oh, you want specific? I'll be specific enough that I'm certain to include the one that you would exclude. The one you would ignore. The one you would never even consider. I'm going to force you to see that the Samaritan is your neighbor. The one who you would never think of. I think thoughtlessness is a very dangerous thing. We can be very much on guard to not do the obvious wrong. We can, sometimes it can almost be easier for us to love our enemies because, you know what, we can recognize them. And we can be on the lookout for that because we know that's a big, hard thing to do, to love your enemies. And when someone says, love your enemies, now granted, maybe our enemies quite aren't as severe as for some. But when someone says, love your enemies, there's probably somebody you have in mind. I'm not going to ask for any names, although that'd be really fun to do someday, but I'm not actually going to do that. But there's probably someone you can think of, someone who has been your adversary, someone who's been a roadblock to you personally or professionally, someone whom you're in competition with, someone who you're always comparing yourself to. And we see love your enemies, and there's people who can stand out and jump up and, and in our minds, they're jumping up and down, waving their arms, saying, hey, that's me. Hey, you've got to love me. Deal with it. <laughs> we might not like that, but at least it's easy for us to think about that. But what about those that we just don't notice? What about those that aren't a friend or an enemy? They're in that in-between that we probably never even consider or acknowledge. The unnoticed, the unconsidered, and the ignored. In a lot of ways, that's who the Samaritans were to the Jews. Rome was more the enemy, the occupying force. But the Samaritans, they were the, like, well, I'm not even going to waste my time with them. And so Jesus says, no, let's get a broader definition of who your neighbor is. An understanding of who we can say, this is my neighbor, 
Not just your enemy, not just the people that you notice, like, okay, i got to admit that they're my neighbor too, that I need to open my eyes a little bit more to the one that I haven't considered and remove that line between friend and enemy and in between, remove the line between us and them. The definition of neighbor becomes far more broad. You see, for the Jew, you know, the Samaritan in this story, the man whose worship was considered imperfect, impure, inferior. Well, in this story, he was the faithful one. Not the priest, not the Levite, not the ones who were supposed to have it together, who clearly they would have their worship right because that was their job. They knew it better than anybody, but the Samaritan, they did it all wrong. But that's the one who was faithful to the heart of God, to the commandments of God, aligned with the heart of God. He says to this expert into the law and to the Jewish establishment and to us too, everything that you thought made him separate from you, everything that you thought drew a line between him and you to make him living in a different world than your own, Everything that made him different and inferior. What if that line's not really there? What if that's a line that you've built yourself, a wall that you've built yourself, and the real line is who's being faithful and who's not? In a little while, this isn't the cue for those of you who are waiting for this, but in a little while, we're going to be taking up this special collection we've been talking about for, for weeks now. Um, for Orphan's Lifeline. And one of the things that I love about organizations like that, people who stand up for those who are far away, people who are in need, one of the things I love about those kinds of organizations, like Orphan's Lifeline, is that they help me see my neighbors. Paul's told some heart-wrenching stories over the last two or three weeks as he's come up here at the beginning of the announcements, told some of the stories about some of the lives that have been touched and some of the difficulties and heartache that's been experienced. For those who are in these situations, these orphans halfway around the world, he's walked us down the road. And we've gotten to see a neighbor who's in need. A neighbor who maybe we didn't know about before. A neighbor who we've never seen before. That one who we don't even, it doesn't even enter our field of vision most of the time. But groups like Orphan's Lifeline, they help walk us down a road so that we can see something we may have overlooked before. And they make us ask ourselves, okay, am I going to love my neighbor today? I just found a new neighbor a neighbor who's in need, a neighbor who's been beaten up and robbed on the side of the road, what am I going to do about it? It's also the thing I hate about organizations like Orphan's Lifeline is that it forces me to ask that question when I don't want to. Because I feel like, ah, I know there's already so many needs, there are so many things I do know about that I feel like I do such a poor job of, and then I find out, wow, there's more that's needed. There's more that need me. But it's an important question for us to ask ourselves. Who is my neighbor? 
And now I am going to go ahead and ask the guys who are helping to, to pass the trays can, can go ahead and be making their way back up. See, in situations like this, we see so many needs. And there's, I mean, just right now, and it's been mentioned before, there's so many different things coming up. There's, there's this special collection. There's the stuff we're collecting for Potter's Children's Home. There's the Pregnancy Resource Center thing coming up. There's, you know, we're going to hear more about later the, um, the gifts that we're going to be buying, you know, for, for children in need that we're getting everything from the bulletin board on the back. There are so many needs, and there's so many more out there in the world that each of us as individuals know about. And we look at that. We look at the magnitude of the need, and we say, wow, but... What can I do? (laughs) My contribution is so small compared to the need. But can God do some great things with small things? He's got a pretty strong track record there. What can he do with a shepherd boy facing a mighty warrior, a giant? What can he do with... Two men, Jonathan and his armor bearer. I'm not going to tell the story again. <laughs> I've already done it twice this year. And just up against the whole army of Philistines. What can he do with just five loaves and two fish among so many people? What can he do with just a few words? Let there be light. In fact, in Hebrew, that's only two words. Not that I know what language God would have been speaking, but regardless, with small things, God can do great things. And so, is there anything small about one changed life? Did the traveler say to the Samaritan, oh, oh, please, you know, don't, don't bother, you know, I'm, I'm just one man, you should go find something bigger to do. There's got to be a bigger thing that you can do for God. Just, just leave me here. I'm, I'm, don't worry about it. I'm just one guy. No. Do you think that rescue was a small thing to the one being rescued? And do you think it's a small thing for an orphan halfway around the world to discover that someone that they're never going to meet cares enough about them to show love to them by providing for even their most basic of needs. And, and probably the best part about this is that they will never know my name. They will never know your name. They will simply know the name Christian. They will simply know that a follower of Jesus Christ loved them enough to do something. Do you think that that small thing might just change something big for eternity? I think it might. No one can do everything, but all of us can do something. I'm going to say a prayer of thanks and of blessing upon this collection, and then we'll go ahead and collect it. Father, we thank you so much that you have blessed us in such a way that we have something to give, most of us. And we're all in different situations, and, and we all, I'm sure, of of different abilities right now to do what you've called us to do, but we all have some ability. You've blessed us all with something, and I'm sure you're just waiting to see what we're going to do with it. You know our hearts. You know what we're going to do. But we thank you, God, that you have blessed us in such a way that the resources you've entrusted us with 
can go a lot farther than they could ever go simply in our own hands, that we can give back to you in so many ways and allow you to work, allow things to be done in your name that are far greater than any dollar amount would indicate. As we take this collection, Lord, I pray that these funds would be used to fundamentally and irreversibly change even one life somewhere in this world, Lord. Let someone know for the first time, God must love me because the people of God have shown me love in this way. Because nothing is bigger than that, Lord. We ask your blessing upon this offering as we take it now. In your son's name, amen. As this is collected... There's a question for this and for every other time that we do have to ask ourselves. Who's your neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Who's God putting in your path? What road are you walking down? And more importantly, who do you choose to stop and help? To whom will you show mercy? Can we say that we love, that we love our neighbor, that we have simple obedience to this great command? If we see a need and walk on the other side of the road, if we have and don't choose to give to those who do not have. Now, sometimes it means money and other resources, like in this instance. Sometimes it's going to mean time and attention, and care. Sometimes, like for the Samaritan in this parable, it meant both. (laughs) He had to inconvenience himself. He had to take the time out to do something that probably wasn't pleasant, to bind this man's wounds, to care for him, to go out of... We don't know why he was on this road, but that doesn't even make it into the story. The important part was that he stopped doing what he was doing to care for another. It took his time and his attention, but also his resources that he had to see that he was cared for. But whatever it takes to obey this command, to love your neighbor, it will take action. It will take action for the world to know that we love as God loves. Because this shouldn't surprise us because it's how we know that God loved us. How we know that God loves us, not because he stood back from afar, that he looked down on us from heaven and he said, oh, hey, everybody, I love you. Have fun down there. He didn't love us with just words. He loved us with the word become flesh. He didn't love us just as an idea, but he loved us with the ideal life of Jesus, lived so that it could be a perfect sacrifice as he died on our behalf. The most well-known verse of Scripture in the world, I'm sure, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Because he loved, he gave. He did something. He acted on our behalf when we couldn't act for ourselves. And so, as we seek to love others, 
as God has loved us, we need to remember that we can love because we've received love. We're able to love because love has been first expressed to us. We love Him because He first loved us. He showed us what love is so that we have the chance to show it to others. So that we also could love the world around us. We can love our neighbor because our love is fueled by the love of God, which has no limits, which has no bounds. I hope you know what I'm talking about when I talk about this love of God. I hope you've experienced it for yourself. I hope that you've experienced the love of God expressed through Jesus and received through your baptism into his name to be baptized into his death, to be raised up from the water into his new life. If you haven't experienced that, I hope you would today. If you don't know what that means, if you don't understand what this love means, well, I'd love to talk with you more about it, and I have to admit in the outset, I don't fully understand it myself. It's too big, and it doesn't make a lot of sense sometimes that God would love us like that, I only know that he does. And so if you want to experience his love, or if you need this church to surround you, if you have experienced that love, but you feel like you've lost it somewhere along the way, and you're not expressing and reflecting that love to others, and you need the help of this church family, if there's anything we can do to help you receive the love of God or to express that love of God to others this morning, please come and let us know while we stand.